So many owners open their shops with the dream of doing auto repair the right way, being an asset to their community, having free time with their families, and having the ability to create a financial legacy. In reality, so many find themselves working long days, are struggling to find and keep good staff, and can barely pay the bills. Since 2016, the fastest growing automotive repair coaching company, ShopFix Academy's sole purpose is to stop the average small business from destroying the average family. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com. Kind of the general rule was when you're at work, you're at work. You have an obligation. You have a you collect a paycheck. And then if you deserve the paycheck, you'll get it. Just like everybody. This is Success Leaves Clues, an automotive industry podcast, and I'm your host, Thomas Hayes. Building a business from nothing, growing it into a family empire, and then passing it on to your kids. It's the full circle. It's the dream. It's the goal that so many shop owners have. But how many actually get to see it happen? Our guest today is Doug Hilmuth, co-founder of Hilmuth Certified Automotive in Maryland. He did it. He accomplished this dream. If that's your dream too, then this is the episode you need to listen to. You'll hear how he built the business with a great family environment and then passed it on to the next generation. It's a really good episode, so stick around. An effective online presence is a critical part of your shop's growth and profitability, which is why it only makes sense to use the company that many top-performing repair shops use for managing their online presence, Leads Near Me. Leads Near Me effortlessly increases your car count with a strategic combination of killer websites, high-converting Google ads, traffic-driving social media posts, and more. Reach them by text or call at 888-953-2379 or visit them online at leadsnearme.com. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you to have you. So, uh, Doug, I've known you for a long time and uh, I'm looking forward to this episode and having you share your story. But for those that don't know who you are, who are you? Doug Hilmuth, uh, my brother and I, Billy, and my wife started Hilmuth Certified Automotive in Columbia, Maryland in 1978. And then I have a passion for the the industry. I grew up in the gas station as far as the industry for 14 years. Went to tech school there and then decided I I was a workaholic. My wife said, if you're going to work yourself to death, you might as well do it for yourself. So I ventured out, found a spot about 20 miles away and said, this area is growing and I'm going to go up there. And I told Billy, come on, let's go open up the business. He said, yep, let's go. I love it, man. So we did. So what was that like starting a business with your brother? Well, Billy was a technician. Uh, he was a desire to do something more with me because he had left my, I trained him and he had left me and went to another gas station and we got, you know, there was 
you know, there've been mornings where I said, Billy, get your butt in here to go to work. Come on. You know, he'd be late because he's still, he's five years younger than me. And so we went through that stage and, but it was great to have a brother that I could lean on. Yes. Conflicts maybe here and there, but when I, way I looked at it was his strengths, my strengths and each of us weaknesses, who could do what. And we could learn that pretty quickly and was able to separate, you know, more tasks that way and who was responsible for things. So it really did work out great. I mean, he worked alongside me and, and if it was something that he didn't understand because he was the operation guy, he said, write something on paper. And so that's how we started doing our process. That's great. <laughs> so that was good. And then that first shop grew so quickly. We went into 1,500 square feet. And within two years, not even that, a year and a half, we were opened up. Not opened up, but rented two bays in the transmission shop next to it because it's a strip center and hired another technician and a service writer. That business grew quick, I think, because we said yes and went after the customers, meaning we would pick up customers' cars and bring them to the shops. And then, and we came out of the Washington, D.C. kind of, what I say, metro area into a Baltimore metro area you know, added Baltimore rural area and parts houses would say, well, we get your parts there tomorrow, the next day. And I go, no, I need my parts today. I got to get this car done. And I would end up going to where 20 miles away and have my relationships there, deliver my parts or go get them to get the cars done. And it wasn't nothing for us to stay late at night to finish up a car so we could deliver it the next day. So, I mean, so we grew really quick in that, Era because the cars were broken a lot. And so by 1981, um, no, we, 78, 81, we moved into a fi- another area. I mean, uh, a 5,000 square feet, rent- a rental space, and built did a build out there. By 83, we did another 5,000 square feet. We were up to 12 technicians, two tow truck drivers, two foremen. Wow. <laughs> still working on the front and still doing t- wrenching. So it was crazy. I mean, that period of time, because their second location we opened up in 86, because I felt that Billy needed room to grow on his own, and I would go open the other location. And that's what's kind of led us to that. And again, that was a ground up rental, again, another warehouse rental type thing. And that location, I went out at a hole with 12 bays. Unfortunately, I've never made capacity there. <laughs> so I learned a lesson about traffic flow. That's important. <laughs> and we're at the, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a hard lesson, but it's still there. It's a little, it's profitable, but it's my uh, hard baby to take care of. <laughs> so, but then we grew and we, and so that was in 86. 10 years goes by, we opened another shop, 96. I acquired that one through about two years of just talking to the owner. He was a, a friend up here. And uh, it was a six-bay operation that was only doing like $40,000 at a time. And within, we did projections on that, and we looked at the, the market. And our forecast was to double that business within three months, in which we did out of six bays. And then 
that thing has been very successful. It's kind of it doesn't have a lot of immediate competition. It's on a main road in a good area. And then 10 years goes by, well, not quite 10 years, but yeah, 2010, we opened up our fourth location, which is a seven-bay facility further out in the suburbs, uh, same county. So I get three shops in one in, in one county, and then that one I said is my hard baby is over in the, in the different county. But that one has been very successful since we've moved up there. It was kind of like, do how much competition do I have? No, I don't have that many cars, but how, what's the bay count in the area? How many bays and how many cars in that area? And it was high end income people and high housing, I mean. And so there was not enough bays for the number of cars. So I said, no problem. We'll make this happen because we can get the cars in here. And fortunately, we have done that. We grew very rapidly there too, with our you know forecast. So, as this history goes, so now the four shops are running good, and my boys, Billy's boy, William the Third, Billy, and my son Scott have taken over the business and are running it tight now, and they're doing very good. Yeah, so I'm been a happy. Been had some great experience. I mean, at first shop we were in, like like I said, it was just me and Billy, my and my uh, wife, and uh, we were doing installations for a custom shop, and it, we had a Royce Royce in there doing a remote start, and I was working on it because I was electrical kind of guy. Billy was with me, helping me doing something else, some alignment on another vehicle, or something nine thirty at night. Some old coffee was sitting in the in the waiting area, and I had a cup of coffee. Went out and finished that wiring in the Rolls Rolls. Got home about twelve o'clock, and I laid in the bed and I thought my heart was jumping out of my chest. It was one of those moments of remembering working working late at night. And another big memory I had was when even in the fourth location, we opened that up. We moved equipment out of a run a shop that had been abandoned in my Gaithersburg location and I went to the landlord and said there's a bunch of equipment in there I'd like to take and make a deal with him and uh, purchase it so I ended up giving her under $25,000 for I mean it was all types of equipment in it probably $100,000 worth of equipment but the deal was I had to clean the shop out so we ended up cleaning, pulling the equipment out we wanted, and there was tires, and there was everything else. I, I remember just standing out in the parking lot, me and my brother, and, and water running out of my boots from the sweat. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a full location. And then me and my brother got the location open again in 2010. And we were there on a Saturday, and somebody came in, you know, around 1.30, 2 o'clock, and we were, our tech had already left because we weren't open officially on Saturdays at that point. And we said, sure, we'll take care of it. Me and my brother ended up doing an oil service and inspection on the vehicle. And we're both sitting underneath the car. I said, do you ever believe we would be under a car at this stage of our lives, <laughs> this stage of our business? And I go, but didn't we have fun? We did. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> the shops, you know, 
do well. They could probably could do better. Actually, the boys have got my the Columbia shop. I still have it. It's a rental. It's 18 bays. Now, again, I probably should be doing more money. We're probably doing right now. For years, we were stuck at anywhere from 140 to 175,000. Right, the boys have got hired another service advisor, so we got three service advisors, a parts guy, two GSs, and six techs in there, and they did 247 last month. Nice. So they, so they're making headway. We so we all of them did close to a little over 6.4 million last year, and we're tracking 7 million this year. So that's great. So they're doing really well. I mean, we, I opened a shop because I, that time in 78 and that era, there was a lot of bad publicity in our trade about grease monkeys taking advantage of people. And I, you know, and it really irked me bad. So I said, I said, I want to open a shop, but I want our customers to know they can trust us. I want employees to be proud of where they work and I want our peers in our industry to look up to what we have done and what we can do you know and make a change in the industry and I I mean over the years there's so many things have happened I'm really proud of our industry the advancements that it's made over the years and the people that have assisted in that the coaching groups the things that have happened over the years the it just the 20 groups it just really made a big difference in our industry I've got i think it's got much more respect and i think that even the public and how our industry gives back to the communities made makes a great difference you know you see that in a lot of shops now that they're going out and doing things in the community and giving back to the community because they're successful and that really makes me feel good to see that happen it's a big deal. And uh, I, I think, you know, you and, and others like you that, that saw that need and, and really were part of that shift, um, you know, that's incredible. I, I think our industry is a wonderful industry to be in, and it's a really great time to be in our industry, for sure. So, Doug, I got to say, you you make what you've accomplished sound pretty easy. You know, you you're you know, you're opening store after store, you know, things were growing. I'm sure that there was a lot of really great lessons. I'd love if you could talk through some of those. What would be some things that that you would have liked to have known along the way, some lessons that you learned in the process of building this business with your family? The first lesson I learned about your team is you cannot clone them. You have to look for their strengths and weaknesses and try to improve their strengths and mentor them on their weaknesses and grow them. I've got more, as much advice from uh, service advisors that I was able to give by, you know, when I was growing about what to do and how to do things. You know, so stand back and listen and don't try to clone people would be the lesson. You know, give them time to, to give you information from their experiences that will aid you in your business to make advancements. That was, that was probably my first in, you know, 79, 80 when I had hired the service advisors and so forth. Uh, the second probably big lesson is that 
it's the team that will make the business successful. It's not you as an individual. It's the people that you have and how you train them. And we've always had a minimum requirement of 40 hours of training, but I have technicians today that do over 100, 120 hours worth of tech training. Now, we provide that. A lot of times they do it you know, remotely. A lot of times they will send them out for a week to a tour class. We'll pay them when we do send them out like that. For the, and we pay for the training. So I've always been proactive in paying for the training and making sure that we're keeping tabs on that training. And, and you know, I don't need to hire an ASE certified technician, but I'm surely going to encourage them to get all their certifications, get their L1s, get the you know, master technician certification. So they have their conditions. Whether they stay with me or not, I tell them. I said, that's just going to carry you forward. So training is a big thing. And... For me, it's always been try to gain more knowledge. How can I be a better leader? How can I be a better owner? How can I take and be involved in the business successfully? And I get that from others. You don't get it by yourself and just reading. You need other people around you that have have achieved and have made success in their careers, whether it be automotive, whether it be uh, a dentist, whether it be a plumber. Sitting alongside those people and listening to their stories have helped me make decisions and help. The other thing is, you asked me what discoveries is, is you got to get buy-in from your team. You don't tell them. You got to get buy-in. You got to take and, you know, you lead them there, but don't tell them. (laughs) So that's been, uh, you know, You know, I've always, we've got a reputation as take your car to helmet. They're really good. They take care of you. You won't have any problems. They might be a little high, but you don't have to worry about your car after you leave them. And I've always been a leader like that. So I've always been a numbers person. So I've always watched that. And if I'm going to, if I'm going to give raises each year, then where is it coming from? Being able to forecast out five, 10 years, right? In today's world, you better be forecasting every three years out. Just what's got to change? What kind of equipment you're going to have to get? What kind of services you're going to have to get? Where are you going to go get your training? Who's going to? Where are you going to look for that training? Who's going to be a good trainer? And supply that to your not only your technicians but to your front staff and and the knowledge that they gain. You know, I took in one time. I, I tell people far as. Uh, production-wise, was I really looked and talked to my my technicians about inventory of hours. That was a big hurdle. I mean, I saw a jump in production when we started talking about inventory and hours. You know, you got so many hours, you're here a day. You're here nine hours. You take a half an hour lunch, so you you know, so you're here in eight and a half an hour. I said, you got 45 hours a week of inventory. If you don't use it, you know, it's gone. It's never coming back. It's just like time. And I would coach them up and look at their tickets and see how they ride them up. You know, how they walked around a car, you know, you know, and, and I was able to do, and I've still got some technicians that I coached up in my original shop in Columbia 
that went from, you know, 35 hours to now 60 hours. Because, I mean, but that didn't take, not again, that once you do that, but it takes a while to sit down with them and talk to them and, and coach them up and not just dismiss them so quickly a lot of times. That was a big lesson for me. Just, you know, I used to post hours and expect them just to happen because I post them. No, you got to have conversations. <laughs> Communication. I talk about that all the time. You gotta have, you gotta have team meetings. You gotta have huddles in the morning. You gotta have huddles in the afternoon. You gotta, you know, communicate with your all everybody that's involved. You know, another rule I gave my front staff a long time ago is uh, a ten, twelve, two, and four. I said you better have all your customers called by ten o'clock. You better have all your parts ready by twelve. You better have check everything at two o'clock. And if you ain't gonna get it done, you better call them before they call you before o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So little things like that. I mean, that stick with you and make a difference, you know. I posted on our walls about seven, eight years ago, the golden rule, because I used to go into the shops and say, if you made any friends today, was when I'd walk into them. And they knew that how we, I said, I want my customers treated as you would treat your friend or your mother's when I'm going to talk and train my service advisor. So I posted that on the golden rule in there and it's still the, on, in the shops today just a little you know uh, picture frame with the golden rule and I said we, that's what we really try to do treat how you want to be treated and that you know again that's again conversations you can't just hang in a thing but you got to have conversations about that with your staff you know I really believe that that little things like that that you don't you take for granted sometimes, but it makes a big difference in the, the culture of the shop. Did you know that some web design companies use the same wording across all their client sites? Unfortunately, this common practice is noted by Google as plagiarism, which will cause your site to be ranked lower. That's why it's critical that whoever makes your shop's website knows better. That's why so many top shops trust leads near me to create and manage their shop's websites. As Google Certified Partners, they know how to make a top-ranking website from an insider's perspective. Get a free site analysis by visiting leadsnearme.com or calling 888-953-2379. Leads Near Me. Effortlessly increase car count. These are really good, um, these are really good lessons and, and things that I think people listening you know, like you said, like some of these things you can take for granted, but I, when we, you actually implement them and you make them part of your culture, the effect is evident. I mean, you guys are crushing it. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about what it's like working with family. I, there's a lot of folks that I talk to and, you know, a lot of, of family owned repair shops. Uh, you know, I've heard good culture and I've heard bad culture. It sounds like you guys have a pretty healthy family culture. Is that, is that correct? That is, I mean, we call our teams part of our family, you know, as far as, you know, working with family, because my brother and myself, my wife, then my sister-in-law, so the wives were doing the books, two and two type shop situation, and then my son, and then my nephew come to business. I had a son-in-law in the business. Wow. You have everybody. And so, <laughs> so it was kind of the general rule was when you're at work, you're at work, you have an obligation. 
You have a you collect a paycheck, and then if you deserve the paycheck, you'll get it, <laughs> just like everybody. But if you you're just not an you're not an owner. Me and Billy talked about that originally. I said what we take and do for the business is how we get paid. And when we're here, we're in business, and it's and it's we got to act respectfully to our customers, to our employees, and do the work that we say we're going to do. Because it's it's not a free ride as a family. I won't talk about business when we have family outings or anything like that, or dinners. I'm off. That's off base, even with my sons and as we grew up in the business. Uh, but that thing, try to separate business and and personal lives is what was a major thing I think that I strive to do to keep. Now, did we have times when we jumped up at each other and got in each other's face? Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. That's would happen. But again, even me, me and my nephew, when we were, when I was mentoring them, because I knew I was trying to transition out, we would have weekly, not weekly, every two weeks, we would, me and my brother, my nephew, my son would have meetings. And those got some heated times and in each other's face because I would, you know, here's how you think about it. I said that you got to look at a decision about the business in many ways. Number one, it's got to be good for the customer. It's got to be good for the team. And it's got to be good for the bottom line. And then you got to take and see where those areas are and how many wagon wheels you got to go out and expect cross to see what, what else it's going to affect if you make that decision, you know? So, and we would get in heated discussion, get each other face. But then we would, before we left the room, listen, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have gotten your face. Both ways. We usually would apologize to each other and come back. Uh, because, I mean, they bring and you bring certain things to the table. So you got to take and try to listen to them and walk away. Another lesson is for our family business, if something did get heated, I go, Let's stop this conversation right now. Let's walk away and let's come back and go to it when we both calm down and know what we really want to say. Because right when we're at night, we're talking out of emotions. And that emotions are not going to get us anywhere. We got to come back and think about what we're trying to do and come back to reality and let the emotions leave. And again, I'm sorry for having, you know, getting out, blasting you. Or you bl- sorry for me, you blasting me, but. Let's carry, come back to this later. So I've left the conversation and come back to it the next day if under those conditions with family. But uh, again, keeping them separate, you know. And in, in the family business, you know, the picnics in the summer, the it's a big thing that we've always done. And the other thing with the whole families, I mean, I want all my employees to bring their families, little kids, Christmas parties. Again, invite every all the, the the kids and then we'd have Santa Claus and we'd give presents to the kids. Either my brother or I would play Santa Claus, try to do that. Mm-hmm. Go into the shops to this day for my FaceTime, even though that I'm not part of it because it's, the kids are running it, I still go up and say, How's your family doing? Where have you been traveling to today? Where you've been, you know, having those little even many conversations, what I call them at the toolbox or at the front counter. It personal on a personal level to keep them engaged and keep me up to date with what's going on in their lives and give me a, uh, I guess, a little sign of what's going on in the shop too because 
you, that tells you something when they start talking personal, something else might come out of it. So the little mini things, we I'd come into one shop to the other shop and walk in and have little discussions like that. I call them my mini box discussions. <laughs> and that's just to see how people were doing, just to see what the uh, atmosphere in the shop was. So that makes it in the family traditional call for business is how I kind of looked at it. And it was in, in, in transition in, to the next generation. They call it family. They're still doing that. They go out and do an axe uh, throwing party. Or they'll go to the go-karts and do a thing. Me and Billy one time ran the, what the, what they call the gauntlet, the gauntlet where you run down the middle and they were paintballs and they were shooting me and Billy <laughs> at one of our outings. That was dangerous. <laughs> but we made it. <laughs> a few, a few, few marks on our arms and legs, but we made it. <laughs> But yeah, that's how you build the family thing and how do you deal with personal families about walking away when there is a heated discussion and coming back to it when it's not emotional. I think that's really, really good advice. And I love this idea of, of you know, you said earlier that, you know, you've really, everyone in the business, whether they're blood or not, you know, they're they're part of the family. His in working with family and having that concept of family, do you ever have found, have you ever found that it's difficult to keep impartiality? Like, uh, you know, whether to make a a critical business decision or has that really just kind of flowed, you know, pretty easily for you guys? We've had like my son-in-law is a technician for me and we had to let him go after 10 years because he wasn't meeting expectations. Yes, it's difficult, but again, Back to the original, we there and that baseline is we're here to be an example, be workers, and we're paid to do X, Y, Z. Me and my brother had that conversation young, and it's kind of transferred even to the to my wife and my sister in law. You know, you, you got to be careful how you talk to your wife. Absolutely, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> your sister in law, but and then not having that, even going home and not trying not to have that. My brother did this at work conversation mm-hmm. with my wife. Uh-uh. No, no, no. Keep it, you know, keep that. Try to keep the silence away from the family. You know, what's business is business going to home. And it sparks up more turmoil if the wife gets an attitude about something. Or a your son gets an attitude about another, you know, the nephew or vice versa. Is to keep that again. Business is business, personal is personal. Don't mix the two, and you'll stay out of trouble in the long run. Not that you won't have the you know spurs where you go come and walk away, but that's a big divide when in family, for me. And even even with Scott and Billy to, to this day, I'm still a mentor to them, but I know. I don't tell them what to do. I ask them what they're doing and talk to them and say, if there's anything I can help them with, I don't take any, you know, at this point of the game because they are running the shops. It's theirs now, you know, do your thing. If I can help you, absolutely. And it's respect for them. I respect them and they respect me in the conversations. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about what it was like to, to really transition out of the business and turn that over um, you know, to the younger generation, what was that like for you? And do you have any advice for, for folks that are in that position that are, are passing business off to their children or other family members? Let's talk that through a little bit. Uh, 
That's a long one. Uh, number one, set a date and end in mind. If, if I'm, I had to set a date instead of playing games. I'm going to leave here at such such. I'm going to leave here in such a date. Once I put a date on the calendar, then it became very intentional about that transition. Uh, we would have those meetings every, like I said, every two weeks and talk about, you know, everything that was happening in the business and then talk why, which way we should we go or what, how do we make that decision? And like I said, and discuss what went through my mind and what made me make decisions the way I would make them. So that was a period in decision making, and then and then you got to start talking about relationships. How's that relationship going to go if uh, between the nephew and the son if they're taking over, and what's the duties that the father and 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 the fathers take as they transition out? And I think where we make a mistake as a father son situation is. We don't talk to our sons, nor do our sons talk to us about what's really bothering them. And if you don't have those sit-down conversations about business and relate to the changes that either the son or the father wants to make or how they feel about something that's going on in the shop, and in a one-on-one situation then each one goes about the business not knowing and respecting either one the the want of the situation yeah the father wants the son to take over but he never really communicates to that he's waiting for the son to jump in and do this or do that but he really doesn't coach him or give them that lead where you have that conversation with them. And the son wants to take over, but he doesn't take responsibility or ownership. They kind of still lean on the dad to tell him what to do and not ask the, the dad for advice. It's more, can I, it's asking for permission more and instead of asking for advice from the son attitude. And again, and that's what the main problems when I see the transitions is we, the communications and putting an end mark on it so that you can prepare yourself and the second generation for that next place so that you set them up for success and not failure, knowing that you made a lot of mistakes growing up. And so they're going to make some mistakes. But if you don't have, again, they, the communication is so, so great. I mean, and, and, and it's, it's a, it's a father son thing. And some of I mean, my son's silent. I got to pry stuff at him sometimes. And, but we still, when it comes to business, we can sit there and talk about what's going on in business this morning before we left for work. I mean, we had a conversation about, you know, who's leaving, why they're leaving and so forth and giving the feedback. But, if you don't allow that room doing those periods. So it took me four years. Once I set a date, we would start having, we started having those meetings every two weeks. And so 
And then, then it took another year having conversation about how we were going to set up my buyout and my brother's buyout. Again, having the sons involved in that and agree to that. Did they feel, is it fair to the business? Is it going to leave money in the business so that they can have the ability to have cash flow and make money and not expect, and in a time period, again, how many years is they going to give the fathers money or what are they going to do to take care of their family with an end in mind? If you don't have an end in mind there, so they're working and don't have an end in mind, that's not fair to the boys. So you got you got to have those dates set up for all concerns, so everybody knows what they're working for and why. What's the, the strategy going forward and taking care of their families and letting the boys know that they're going to take care of their 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 fa- parents for a certain period of time. You know, but the dates are so important, and the end in mind is so important. I even asked my son Scott, "What's your end in mind?" And he's saying seven years now. And I go, you better start thinking about it if you really are getting close to seven years type thing. And how are you going to transition if 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 Billy, your cousin's going to stay in the business or what's going to happen? Do you all want to grow now or you want to stay where you're at and just make maximize what, like you're doing what you have? Those are decisions you've got to make. But it, it takes a lot of communication and a lot of preparation from a personal level, father son, and from a, from a what I would call not a legal necessary, but at least drawing up some paperwork that says this is what's going to happen. You're going to pay for my benefits. You're going to pay me X Y Z. I'm going to work, and this is my duties in the business. Why you're paying me to work for this period of time? But after that period of time, you're done. Cash out. Setting up golden cut. I set up golden handcuffs for the boys. About 10 years ago, you worked till you know, I had it planned. If I'm going to retire and I need 10 more years, I'm holding them 10 more years, you know, holding them. So if you stay here, then you got $300,000 that you do what, what you want. <laughs> so little things like that make a big difference. Doug, last question. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be? I think I'd probably get a 56, 57 T-Bird. And I'd be able to take and work on it. I'd feel it. I could, I could feel it as the wind blowing through the hair as the convertible down. I'd be able to go out and get the freedom of the wind, but see the beauty of the vehicle. Oh, so the 57, 56 Thunderbird, and my wife would love one too. So there we go. Perfect. <laughs> Make the wife happy. That's right. <laughs> Man. Doug, this has been an incredible interview. You've left so much great uh, wisdom that I think so many owners and and families and father son teams and and everyone listening there's something that I think they're going to take out of this. It's going to be very powerful for them. So um, very grateful for your time today and uh, and for spending some time speaking with us. No, I'm grateful. Thank you very much, Thomas. I appreciate me and having the opportunity to do so. And I hope you know that somebody hears something that sparks something with them. <laughs> I believe so awesome. That was my interview with Doug Hillman. I want this show to serve and impact as many people in our industry as possible. So to help me in that mission, please leave us a review, subscribe to the show, and tell others about us. And if you would like to contact me, please email me at thomas at 
www.thepodcast.com or call 615-656-8804. Thanks so much. Have a great week. No two shops are the same. That's why cookie cutter advice and coaching does not work. In order for your shop to get to the next level, you must have an action plan designed around your shop's unique needs. You'll also need accountability and encouragement along the way. Let ShopFix Academy help you create your best shop. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com.